Visual orientation is a big issue with today's bird dog. Once you have a dog that gets fixated, a pointing dog that gets fixated on the visual aspect of things, you will struggle with scent pointing as well as they will sight point things like a leaf or a stick or a bug or a, and that will overpower their ability to use their nose. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Dog Bone Podcast. This week, um, got something special for you. It's actually a friend of mine, Ethan Pippett from Standing Stone Kennels. He and his wife Kat have a kennel down in Kansas. They raise GSPs, um, specialize in GSPs. I think they train just about all the sporting dogs that you can imagine. Um, I met them several years ago. We've had them on the podcast already uh, quite a while ago. I reached out to Ethan specifically with some questions um, that I was looking to get some answers on regarding this process of training Makina, the little English setter puppy. Um, we have a series going with her on YouTube. We have done some podcast episodes. I'm writing a column for Gundog Magazine documenting that process. Uh, the guys have the video series going to our training library on our website. It's been a very interesting thing for me. Um, learning a lot and so what i'm excited about is the impacts that this training this dog will have not only uh in the future um which i'm assuming there will be at this point i'm assuming there will be more setters in my life um i'm really having a lot of fun with this but i also think it's going to positively impact the retriever training that we've done for so long am i going to make dramatic drastic changes no not at all um are there things that I'm not surprised by with this dog? Yes, there are. Are there some things that I am surprised with? Most definitely. Um, but I this is this podcast in particular, we dig into a process that I've seen Ethan and Kat do with their dogs before. I've I've I just didn't have the answers that I was thinking I needed um, going into it. I, I left the conversation with a lot better understanding and feel for the process of positive pigeons. Um, I think there's value in it. It's something that we actually did recently. That'll be part of our series. We did it at our first workshop uh, last weekend. We did it with Makina. Um, I'll be doing it again. You'll hear more about it here in this in this episode, but um, it, it's I, I really appreciate them or Ethan's willingness to to share this information with me. Um, we're probably going to be reaching out to them again and, and working, I think, actually together on a, on a few things. So um, looking forward to it. Enjoy this podcast. Uh, Ethan and Kat from Standing Stone and me digging into a little better understanding and figuring out where and how to apply the idea of what they call positive pigeons with training uh, the setter. So enjoy. As, as always, I appreciate your support. Um, it means the world to us. Please do me a favor, and if you'd leave us a review, um, wherever you're listening to this, it helps us better understand what, what we're doing well, and it also helps us reach others that potentially would be interested in and positively impacted by some of the content that we're putting out there. So thank you again for all your support. We appreciate it. Um, enjoy. I, I look forward to getting some feedback on this one. I wanted to talk with you because... I have been, so I got this, I've got a new puppy, um, a setter pup. 
She's going to be, I think she'll be 20 weeks on Sunday. That's so, on age. Oh my God. I'm having a blast. I'm really, really enjoying her. She's, she's really a nice puppy. So I am working with her and I'm recognizing and realizing. So I'm writing an article for Gundog. I'm doing a series for Gundog magazine with it. Um, we're filming it and doing some stuff for our social platforms, but I'm, it's really been an interesting project for me because there are differences. Um, you and I talked about pointing dogs a while before I even got, before mm -hmm. I put a deposit down on this puppy. So it must've been must three or four years ago. I was maybe a year or two into the search at that point, I think. But we, I remember having, having a conversation with you about it. Um, I have realized some differences. I have realized some similarities. Um, that part of it is just, interesting to me because I really feel like I'm going to benefit bigger picture from a training perspective by doing this and and it's a lot of fun and I'm enjoying it so like I'm getting a lot I'm getting double whammy as far as positives out of it but the one thing that I'm finding is I've never researched dog training much like I've you know early on in retriever training stuff I'm very very comfortable with very comfortable with the style that we take to to it um it fits my personality well it fits my dogs well so but i and and so i never really thought about retriever training the same way with the exception of like i've studied a lot of different trainers that do retriever stuff and a lot of them do it differently than how i do it and some of them do it similarly similar and i've taken a lot of things from certain trainers that have that fit really good for me and plugged it into my my personal style with pointing dogs, I don't know, I don't have those relationships. I don't know those people. And what I did was I've spent a lot of time, like the old school way of researching, training, pointing dogs. And so books and DVDs, and I, luckily for me, or thankfully for me, a blessing in disguise, if you will, I, I got two buddies that got puppies out of the same kennel. It, it was Northwoods Bird Dogs. And they got puppies that are a little over a year old right now and so they had and we were all going to get puppies out of the same litter and it didn't work out because i wanted a female these guys got males so they got their dogs a year earlier than i did and i was real bummed about it because we were going to raise them together and blah, blah 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 it was you know this fairy book story but then it didn't happen and i'm really glad it didn't because i got to see these guys raise their dog for the first year i hunted with their dogs last fall they were like 10 months old and so we put them in the woods and we did some stuff and um I got to learn a lot, I think, accidentally by waiting an extra year, by seeing kind of the struggles, seeing the things that went well with them, picking their brains, having conversations. They're really good friends of mine. So that was really good for me. And I got a lot out of it. But I've realized that with bird dogs, there's so many different, there's a lot of different feelings on like styles of training them. No different, I suppose, than retriever training, but I just never paid attention to it. And because I just never really entertained it before because I felt like I knew the direction I wanted to go intuitively because of that was what I started with and went with. And I, and I, I, I guess I did study it pretty deeply, but I didn't study varieties of training styles because I eliminated a lot of things early on as far as techniques. With bird dogs, I don't know that I can do that because I don't know anything. I didn't know much, if anything, about them. And so one of the things that has been very interesting to me and I followed a lot of your stuff. I've watched a lot of your guys' stuff. And 
I wanted to talk to you specifically about positive pigeon stuff. So it's something that I've watched. You guys do. I don't know that I've seen anybody else do it. So I didn't, first off, I was going to ask you, like, is that something that you picked up over the years of training? Is it something that you've hybrided to be something that you do yourselves? Is it, and, and I like, I don't get into like, so such and such a way of training. Like it's the standing stone kennel way, or it's the, this way. Or, uh, yeah, I, no. I don't get into that because I just don't think it's applicable. I think it's a strong marketing play, but it's not necessarily my approach to training, but I've not seen other people do it. So my question to you is, can you give me a general explanation for, cause I've got a lot of questions about it and I'm going to be grilling you with them, but what, give me an, give me an example or a general explanation of what that process of positive pigeon looks like for you. And, mm -hmm. and maybe some of the, your reasoning for it, cause that will help me start to understand it deeper. And then I'll, I've got this list of questions, but I don't know that I want to ask any of them until I ha start to have you kind of unfold that for me and, and, and open that up. Sure. So first and foremost, I did not invent this. Um, like most things, this wasn't something that came to me and I'm trying to look up what the gal's name is right now. Um, it's a, a lady, the train setters actually from North Dakota. Um, and she has a training video that I think you can find on DVD. It's called continental breeds, maybe training continental breeds. Okay. And this is something that I would look up if you can find it. God, I want to go. Uh, give me one second. I'm going to go look at I got a DVD over here that actually can't be it, but hold on. Training setters and continental breeds. Yeah. Sherry Ebert. Ah, found it. <laughs> oh, God. You got it? You're never going to believe it. I got the damn thing right here. Uh, have you watched it? Uh, Probably not. <laughs> I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be honest with you. So I just grabbed this thing. So I got a shit ton of these videos that uh -huh. you know, I got a whole drawers of them over there. So I don't even want to tell you what I got to watch it again, I guess. So I watched it once. Yeah. And I'll be honest with you. I got to see because I remember watching it. I actually did. It's a 90 minute video. So I watched it and I think I turned it off. I think I couldn't get through it. And I was it's like, great. I mean, and, all yeah. of them. if you go back to any of them from that, that time period, it's like, what are we doing here? You know, I, I don't mean, mean it disrespectfully because I, because no, I should watch it again. It's way better. Than, it's way ahead of the times, right? For them. That was yeah. what was available, but it's still not helpful. Yeah. I yeah. say not helpful. I learned things from every single one of them. I've got one totally. that, and not to, again, not to pick or be disrespectful. These people have done a ton, right? And they put their time and effort and money into producing these things way back in the day when it was stupid right. expensive then. Um, but what, what's his name? Uh, honky Tonk Attitude. Have you heard this pointer? You heard of Honky Tonk? No. Okay, so Honky Tonk is uh, an English pointer, and he's uh, mostly white. And it's Scott Miller, maybe? Honky Tonk Attitude is the dog. Scott Miller, yeah, owned and owned uh, or handled, trained and handled by Scott Miller. Okay. So 
kind of a this is a tangent story, but there's a gentleman that I ran into um, guiding down at uh, a place in Texas, a bigger ranch down in there in Texas, and um, he goes, "I got this dog from a gentleman and trained it as a puppy, and it was." you know, kind of a washout or something to that effect. And then it ended up going to this other guy and it was a late bloomer. So at like two, three years old, this dog turns it on. And I don't know if this is exactly it, but it's something sure. to this effect. And like this dog turns it into what is honky tonk attitude. And there's very few pointer guys. If you talk to pointer guys that wouldn't know who he is, yeah. huge field trial guy, bred it to everything. There's honky tonk pups everywhere. And people that are like, they're honky tonk pups. If it's got honky tonk, like 12, generations back right you know yeah. it's, they're still selling on the name sure. anyhow so scott miller's got a uh, training dvd similar and it's not great um but similar concept like you it's like ah, this is so hard to watch like this right. is bad training this is not even good stuff but this guy has won trophy after trophy and national champions and all of this stuff right so right. obviously some of it works right. but is it more about we had a dog that had the things and was forgiving enough to deal with the poor training, or is it truly like there is some benefits to these drills and we need to watch it at least to go. I can read. This is the thing that I pull from most of them. And I may, I make my employees down and watch some of these as well and say, all right, so watch this. We're going to take notes and you need to tell me what you see here. All right, let's pause. What do you see after that session of this? And they're like, that dog looks confused. I'm like, yeah, yeah, it does. Yeah. Um, so, you know, being able to read dogs and being able to, you pick stuff up from every DVD or training video or anything you're watching, you will learn what it looks like to train dogs, which is why this is a next tangent with this. I always recommend anybody that's trying to train their dog themselves to video their training sessions and watch them because yeah. they will pick out what they're doing wrong because they're used to watching people do it right. Or at least they've seen enough of it, people doing it right. So um, all of that being said, positive pigeons. Um, it's it's kind of a, a slight spin off of what she does in that video, but it's similar-esque. And she utilizes pigeons, if I'm remembering it correct, it's been a while since I watched it, but it's she utilizes pigeons basically to build drive and desire and she's got big open north dakota prairies so let these dogs chase birds and when they come back they get another one so it kind of builds confidence and um excitement about birds as well as builds cooperation a dog that's willing and understands we've got to kind of work together um to continue to play the game and it does it all naturally i'm about dogs wanting to do what we're doing i'm trying to help convince them that what i want is their idea and when they figure it out on their own, it seems to stick better. Yeah. It seems to be more powerful. So that's why, you know, positive pigeons is, uh, is kind of the beginning stages to woe training, but it's also the beginning stages to a baby bird introduction, as well as a drill that we can be cooperative and work as a team when pointing dogs, versatile dogs are independent creatures. Right. They have to be able to go out there and do it in order for them to be able to do their job. If they are relying solely on us and, and more dependent like retrievers can be, looking to us constantly and turning to us constantly, they're not doing their job. Sure. So, okay, that's, that's really good. So 
positive pigeon because my so my next question or a couple of my questions connected to that based on what you told me and you answered it well is i wonder my because i as i watch it and 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 i'll be i admit i have not watched them all like i have i've i've watched some of your videos i've watched i get you know there's lots of there, you have a lot of content out there there's a lot of different dogs that you've done stuff with i've watched the process with different dogs and quite honestly i don't know where that is in the flow of the sequencing of the dog it, it could be i i don't know if that's the if it's the first time if it's the 10th time but my my takeaway because i like the idea so but then my concern came in with this was as i was watching it and my idea of training this setter has changed since i got her with the understanding of so you had mentioned something about you recommend people film themselves. I, I think it's a really powerful thing to see for myself as well. Like me, I don't watch everything that we do and the guys put out as far as we, we film it, they edit it, they put it out. I don't watch it all. I don't, I watch a very small percentage of it. The few times That's that interesting. I do, I'm the same way. <laughs> well, I don't have time. I don't, I don't, I, I, for various reasons, but I also the few times that I do, and sometimes I'll get a specific question about a video or a comment on a video and I'll try to answer it. But in order for me to answer it, I really got to see what they're talking about. So I watch it myself. So I end up catching myself reviewing videos that we've done. And I'm reminded when, when I do that, of, huh, that is interesting. I didn't catch that live. Like I didn't catch it when I was there. And so what, was it, what, it, what I think is valuable about the idea of watching yourself in training from a video standpoint and rewatching is I've noticed that my perspective is very different. Literally my perspective where I'm standing above the dog and looking at the dog and working with the dog mm -hmm. versus I'm standing back at 20 yards, looking at me, looking at the dog and working with the dog. That perspective is so dramatically different that I don't see the same things because of my point of view that I recognize when I'm watching it from 20 yards away, oh, I didn't even notice that. I should have, you know, I didn't catch that from where I was standing above the dog. And so I learned from watching that about myself stuff. I learned about the dog. I miss things. I maybe my eye might be caught over here looking at something and the dog did something and I didn't see it when I was standing next to it. But as I'm watching it from a distance, I can see my head's that way. I didn't see it. I see the dog respond. I go, why didn't I respond to that? It's because I didn't see it at the time. So I think there's a lot of value to that. When I watch your videos as a pick and choose type watcher, you know, I'm in the evening and I decide I'm going to watch, I've got a question in my mind. So I Google it on YouTube and I pop a video of yours up and I watch it. Some it's of the an overlooked thing that YouTube is a search engine. So search for the things that you want. Totally. Totally. Yeah. And so when I do that, I all of a sudden bring up the, you know, I bring up this positive pigeon exercise and I'm watching it and I'm not recognizing if, there's a lot of context missing to it. And so I'm looking at it because is this a drill that you're doing to introduce a dog to birds? Is this an, a drill you're doing to introduce a dog to the concept of woe or steadiness? Is this a concept that you're introducing a dog to build the drive? Like you just told me it was kind of all three of those things in a way. And I'm looking at it and I didn't realize that until I hear it from you directly specifically talking about this. But then I look at it and I go, because I I've I've waffled on it. I've I've loved I love the concept in a lot of ways, but then I thought, 
one of the things I'm wor was worried about, and this is what's interesting about me training a setter right now is you can worry about shit all you want, but until you're wearing those boots, until you're in that position, until you're in that moment, it doesn't really connect. Like it doesn't, you don't really feel it. Like, mm -hmm. uh, it's like, you know, I use this analogy a lot. When I worked in construction, old guys that I worked with had bad backs and bad knees, and they would come into work and bitch about it and tell me how bad they were and sore and, you know, taking all kinds of medication to try to get through the day because they hurt, they were hurting. And I looked at it as a young guy who didn't hurt at the point, at that point, I wasn't at that point in my life. And I was faster than they were. And I was lifting more than they were. And I was, and I was looking at these old guys at the same time, I had a bit of sympathy because I, I, I felt bad that they were hurting. But until I hurt my back, I didn't realize how bad that really was. And then I hurt my back. And then I went, holy fuck, these guys have been living like this for years and doing this job. And I had, yeah, I, I'm sorry for your back hurts, but hurry up and get that shit over here. And in reality, I didn't feel it until I felt it. And so with this dog, I can watch all these videos I want. I can watch all the YouTube I want. I can read all the books I want. It all makes sense and gives me like a little bit of a, movement in the right direction but until you literally put your hands on the dog and you put your feet on the ground and you're in the moment and the timing needs to be good and all that stuff i don't understand you can't understand it until you get there and then when you get there you have different questions and so these questions are what i'm asking because i'm nervous about going into this i i'll put it out there completely because I didn't, I had this conversation with Jerry Coulter, who is the, the breeder of the dog and, and I tiptoed around it. And I, I remember, I recognized after I tiptoed around it. I'm not like, I don't want to put a collar. On. I'm not going to train the dog with a collar. So I don't with my retrievers and I'm not going to do it with this, with this pointing dog. Now I say that very confidently, but I'm a bit reserved with it because I've never done it before. And I don't know if I can, I think I can, but I don't know for sure. So I'm a, I got to, balance this um you know confidence and not sound like a jerk and not sound cocky i don't want to so but i really believe i can do it and so when i i'm starting to think and i'm studying all these people that train these dogs and i've not found one that does it without a collar yet and so i'm taking a lot of information from those sources that use the collar and i'm looking at it and going is there ways for me to modify prepare get things done a little bit in a different maybe sequence or order that will allow me to do it start to end and get the result. I do recognize, I think it's going to maybe take me a little bit longer and I'm okay with that. I think I'm going to have to probably take a little bit different approach to it. But like my fear with the positive pigeon thing was you build your bit, like one thing I saw and I see the development and now it makes sense is when you would do the thing with the positive. So do, do me a favor so that, Describe what happens in positive pigeons before I tell you my concerns. Sure, absolutely. So um, you get out a pigeon. You have a visual. Um, typically, I will hold one wing in and allow one wing to basically be loose and out. Um, most of the times, birds won't flap just one wing. They don't really know how to do that. So if you are holding onto one wing and you have one, you can flap it to get the dog's attention. Once we have the dog's attention, they're going to run over to you and they're going to jump at you and they're going to be excited and everything else. And 
basically we're utilizing the the pigeon itself and the release of the pigeon as properly timed and a marker for behavior. So dog stops and stands still. That's whoa, essentially, right? Then we release the bird. Timing being important, they get to chase. Soon as the dog stops, you have all four feet on the ground. Here comes the bird. You do that again. The dog's going to figure out that they second that they stop, they get to chase another bird. And smart dogs with a lot of pointing instinct, pointing instinct being key. So with the versatile aspect of dogs that short hairs are and several other breeds are, um, you're always balancing a retrieving desire with pointing desire combo. Mm-hmm. Um, dogs that lean more toward the retrieving desire, they're going to... so. Positive pigeons tells me a lot about a dog. It's kind of like a a bonding and learning experience for me as well. But dogs that run all the way back to you every single time before they stop, those are dogs that are going to be higher in the retrieving desire category. They want to be close. They want it. They want to come all the way to you. Dogs with a lot of pointing instinct, which your setter should by nature have that. I mean, setters are known for that. Um, I would assume she'll start stopping further and further and further away from you. Like second she sees you, if you go, she'll go and stop and look at you, like throw me another one. Now, all of this being said, once they're, if they're all in on the bird, they always come back. You let the bird go, dog runs around, maybe 10 minutes, they will come back. Most of the time it's less than uh, a minute or two because of the fact of the, where we're set up. Um, the birds fly back to something, uh, the loft. Dogs can't really get to that. So they come back looking for something else, something, another reward to play the game. It becomes a game, and it does not take very long. I'll, I mean, if, if a dog's not sketchy, right, seems unsure about the environment, I'll play with the uh, dog day one, day two. All right, let's chase the pigeons. Are you calling condition? No. Am I sure you're going to come back to me? Pretty much no. But with these birds, if you're pumped about that, I'm, I'm pretty – pretty sure sure that you will so when you say day one day two this is a dog you're talking that's come back for training come for training yes sir and so do you is i'm not big on anything i do based on time or age that's just my personality and my feeling when it comes to dogs i like to have dogs dictate when they're ready for stuff that's the way to do it yeah, so that's the way to do it. Do you have a, uh, is that your approach with positive pigeons? When you say when they day one, day two, they could be six months old. They could be 12 months old. Or what does that look like for you? Does it yep. matter? So any um, dog coming back to our program for training has to be a minimum of six months of age. So they're going to be somewhere over six months old. So with your personal dogs that you're training, because mm-hmm. you guys keep some of your pups, right? And yep. train, train some of them with so you've got them there younger let's say what's the what would you do it with young dogs too would you, or is this an exercise where you say no i just don't think my pup is ready for it until they get to a certain size mental maturity type thing what is the indicator for you yep so what you're looking for is a dog that is um, able to track things um, have enough leg underneath of it to be able to keep up because if you take and release a bird in front of an eight-week-old puppy, really young, really small. They may see it. Um, and, and I'm not even talking like, yes, you could have startling effects or something. Like if you do it wrong, throw the bird at the dog, the wings hit the puppy, it could startle him. Sure. But out in front of them, bird flies away, the puppy sees it. They can't keep up with it at all. They can't track it for very far. 
So they'll lose interest pretty quickly. With our short hairs, I would say average age would be 12 to 20 weeks that we may attempt this one time. So I've got a young dog, we've got a couple extra pigeons and at a session might be two to eight birds roughly. And what we're looking for is how the dog reacts, right? The first bird will get, I'll wait till they stop. And I might, the very first bird, I might just dump one to, to say, look, I have birds and they're cool and you can chase them. And then after that, they never get a freebie again. Um, it would be lots, you stop and stand there. We release the bird. Now, if you have a dog that runs five feet and kind of loses interest in it, they're not ready. Just be done. One bird to sure. move on. If you have a dog that chases a good distance and is excited about it, then you can do that session and build it up to five, six, seven, eight birds, depending on are they getting better? Are they getting worse? Are they losing interest? Are they still excited? And you, so you, you look at the chase part of it to be a positive thing, a value. You want the dog. And and that is where you're saying we do it for multiple reasons. It's introducing birds. It's introducing the concept or the idea of a little bit of steadiness or wool and building bird drive. Is that the building bird drive for you is chase the hell out of this thing. Go, Go try to get it. Like, and is that, so is that the idea of, so I, one of the things I have found with this dog is there's nothing I'm going to train the dog to do when it comes to hunting. Like she's so natural and it's so beautiful to see. And it's one of the things that I'm just really, it's a pretty staunch. Now I shouldn't say that because it is a difference between that and the retrievers, but my retrievers have some very natural things as well that are beautiful for me when they pick something up and carry it around and bring it to me. I look at that as like, one of these puppies, one of these pointing puppies doing what it does naturally, stopping and pointing at something it's uncertain of. I think my my dog, the little bit, I have not seen point out of her, uh, not formal. Informal, yeah, she's bumped into a pigeon in our backyard that came back and was eating some grain and she was very interested in it. And I looked at it and I'm like, oh my God, that's what they're, that's what they do. They did, I didn't, that's what she does. The The idea with it, for me is when I recognize it's so natural and I'm, I really believe in the idea that, and this is not my idea. It's been told to me a million times, but again, it's not, it doesn't sink in until you experience it is the way to, the way I think the best way I'm going to develop this little dog is give it opportunity. Like I'm going to have to give it a lot of opportunities and let it let it become what it needs, let it become a setter because it is one. And so I feel like the idea of the chase, if it's building drive in the bird, I can't, well, I can't, I have a hard time. Like I've had people tell me that you, I should, I've had, I've had people warn me a bit of be careful about how much foundation you're putting into the dog, because you don't want to take away its natural stuff when it comes to drive for birds. Correct. And I've, but at the same time, those same people that I've talked to really struggle with their dogs at a year old because the, they just are so over the top bird driven. Like they're just so much desire for these birds that they go, that's when you're going to have your hands full. You know, that's when you got to kind of, it's this ride out the storm type thing. You're going to go through these phases with the dog. And I go, I don't know that my, I don't know that I'm a good enough trainer to train the bird dog out of the bird. Like, I just don't believe I am like it. So building this drive and this exercise, 
is that not like an opportunity for it to be this where, where I, where I kind of think it's well described as give the dog opportunities. So is this something where we're giving the dog opportunities to open up or wake up what's inside of it as far as it's bird dog? Like mm -hmm. I love bird. Like I, I watched that dog watch birds all of a sudden one day. It didn't happen like until I bet you she was probably 12 or 13 weeks old where robins now part of it was because of spring and the birds started coming back there were more of them but like all of a sudden one day you wake up and there's a lot of birds around right and there's chirping and there's all this stuff and i literally saw the dog change personality wise because now it's just it just can't keep its eyes off the birds it can't mm -hmm. keep its eyes off its interest off of it it's just so fascinated by these birds and i look at that and i go man that's a bird dog like i didn't that's not anything we trained that's been genetically put into it right that's a that's a turning point, which means that you're ready to move on and you need to move on pretty quickly. Now I'll explain. Um, visual orientation is a big issue with today's bird dog. Okay. Um, once you have a dog that gets fixated, a pointing dog that gets fixated on the visual aspect of things, you will struggle with scent pointing as well as they will sight point things like a leaf or a stick or a bug or a and that will overpower their ability to use their nose. Now, it's not like it's broken, but if it goes on for months and months and months, like the average dog that lives in an urban environment, right? They chase squirrels and birds around their backyard, all visually oriented. And if they spend six or eight or 10 months doing that, or most of their life doing that without redirect, um, that becomes their primary focus. And then they aren't as efficient using their nose. Sure. So this drill uh -huh. with this dog, is that doing that? Is that uh, what? It's a means to an end. Now, this is what gets missed a lot. We probably do three or four total training sessions with positive pigeons. Per dog? Total. Over the course of its, like, so like, like if you're going to, if a dog, if you say, hey, Makina is to the point where I want to introduce her to this positive pigeon concept. Yep. We're going we're gonna to do it to build her drive, which is going to uh -huh. be chase that bird. We're going to do it to introduce her to the idea of stop, keep your feet still for a minute and something good will happen. And we're going to do it. The other reason was, what was your other reason? Woe training, build drive. Well, yeah. And then cooperation, teamwork. Cooperation and teamwork, which is come back, which yeah. is, which is eventually come back, which is another uh, totally different. This is great, man. Cause I love this shit. So that's, that's this idea of with the bird dog, I have found that, I think one of the biggest things a trainer needs is faith in their dog. Like, I think you have to develop faith in the idea that you have to let them go. And I, you have to let them go with the belief that they'll come back. And that's a hard thing for some people to do. I've seen people struggle with it. It's confident oh, in your dog. And so that's, that's a totally, it's a great topic. We'll talk about it, but so, so those are the things that positive pigeon, but once you get to the point where you're going to do positive pigeon training with the dog, you are saying you're going to do a session and see how it goes. If it, if the dog's a little hesitant, you wrap it up. If the dog feeds off of it, and I've seen some of your stuff, because I have seen the change happen in one of your videos where the first time the dog ran off a long ways out of film mm -hmm. or out of camera sight, then he came back. Then the second one, he was gone. Then the third one, he got, he ran so far, but he just turned around and came back. And then the fourth one, he turned around. And I think it's a com I question like, is it a combination of he's realizing he ain't catching it. And the other thing That's is he's, also probably, it. he's yep. probably getting tired. 
So like now all of a sudden he's back with you and says, I'd rather come back and see another one than just continue to run aimlessly and really on no benefit, no, no real return for the dog. Correct. Right. So you would do that, but you would do it maybe three sessions or three or four sessions. And then you'd say, you know what? We're not getting anything more out of this. We've, we've unlocked that, that door. Is that how you look at it? Yeah. So that's a typical progression. Um, and every, again, every dog is different, sure. um, but you're going to see that some dogs will chase and chase and chase and chase and chase. And those are the dogs that chase forever. And yep. then they come all the way back to you every single time. That's that really high retrieving. Like if you were to play this game with a, one of your retrievers, you would see, especially a high drive retriever, you would see more of that response to the game. They're going to run all the way out and then they're going to come all the way back to you. Um, now you will see, uh, so there's all, there's always laws of diminishing return, right? So as we progress something, it gets less useful or can actually teach bad habits. So yeah, we build drive and then the dog figures out, I can't catch them. Well, when they stop chasing altogether, you're completely done with the game because it is supposed to be exciting. They get some reward. Well, if they aren't getting a reward, they just stand there and look at you again. Yeah. Now we're moving into, we re uh, invite this game when we move into advanced steadiness. So steady to wing shot and fall. So with puppies, we play the game until we see these specific things, which are going to be, they chase it. They come back. They know how to stop to get another reward. They're doing it with you. You see excitement about it. And that may be anywhere from you play a, a session being uh, three to eight birds, depending on the dog, yep. you're going to do three, maybe four total sessions. Yep. And typically we'll, introduce a cue with that as well so we can say whoa um usually it will be a whoop 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 they stop whoa good there's another bird and so you've started to apply that it's a little introduction of a lot of things and then from there we move right to let's point birds in the field let's activate that nose sure okay logic that makes sense do you when it comes to that woe part of it the steadiness mm -hmm. part of it like I, I i'm really calling woe training for the idea of woe training i'm really drawing a lot of similarities to a steady dog like my dogs are steady to flush bird flushes they i don't teach them to sit to the flush i want them standing to the flush so it's a sure. thing but and now we're talking flushers but when i when i've got so woe training Positive pigeon is somewhat connected to early, early woe training or concept, understanding of the concept. Correct. Do, we, do you, prior to that, do anything with steadiness with the dog? Or is this like first time it's ever understood the idea of stop with my feet and you're connecting it to a bird? We will clicker train stand. So okay. again, woe, which is... Um, typically like a, a progression that happens when we get dogs that are hyper sitters. So we teach sit. That's a, a really mixed opinion with amongst bird dog guys. Yep. I will teach sit and I will teach then if I have a dog that automatically sits for everything and it's sitting all the time, then we'll stop rewarding for sit and we'll teach stand. Okay. Why so do you which, think guys, why do you think guys are so anti sit with their pointy dogs? You want an honest answer? Yeah. Cause I, I got my opinion, but I want to hear what you said. Okay. So they're not good at training dogs. Okay. So when you get into woe training, you're you way, just... you're way harsher than I am. I'm way nice. No, <laughs> no, I mean, what it comes down to and the, the reasons behind it, if you ask anybody, a majority of people, the reasons of why 
they don't want to teach sit is because the dog may sit when you're working on whoa, right? Well, if your dog is sitting when you're working on whoa, they don't understand what you're teaching them and you need to find a better way to teach it. Yeah. Because it's, it's pressure typically related. Dog reverts to something that they know was good and something that was easier and they try and escape the training session. Well, if you have dogs that are trying to escape training sessions and avoid, then you're not doing a fantastic job teaching. Yeah, I don't disagree with that at all. I think that what was what I so I I have my own thoughts on the idea of like Ethan's brutally honest comment of the chat. Sorry. Well, yeah, and I'll and I'll dance around it like a politician. But I think that guys that say you can't train these pointing dogs to sit, I I have heard them say the same reason, you know, because I don't want this dog sitting in the field on point. I don't want him sitting on wool. And I look at it and I go, it is nothing to do with what, if you think you're that good of a trainer, that your sit is going to be so good that when a dog goes to go on point, it sits because you taught it to sit in the yard when it was a puppy. I think you're a great trainer. Like there's nobody that's doing that. There's nobody that's overpowering the dog's natural like when my dog goes on point, when this little dog goes on point, and then when I say point very loosely, but when she l- stops and focuses on whatever that pigeon that's in my backyard, yeah, she doesn't fucking hear me. Like there is no way that she's got me in her head of like, hey, do this command that I've asked you to do. There's no, there's not doing, we're not changing anything with her. Like, so I, I just, I think it's, I think it's laughable a bit when someone says that I personally have not taught this dog. She's going to be 20 weeks. I have not taught her to sit. And the reason I don't tell her, haven't taught her to sit is not because I don't think I could. And it's not because I'm afraid that sit's going to get in the way of anything in the, in the future. It's because she has an innate natural ability and willingness to stand still always. She has from when she, when she, when she was eight weeks old, like she'll come up to you and staunchly stop. And she looks like a damn pointing dog. And I'm like, you're beautiful. You look exactly like what you're supposed to look like. So I have thought, why would I change that right now as long as I'm getting what I need? And why do I tell dogs to sit? I tell dogs to sit so they don't move around. Like I want you to be stationary. I want you to be right there. That's where I need you. So I tell my dog sit because I feel like it's kind of a period at the end of the sentence. It's you're done, sit. And you stay there until I tell you to do something different. With With her, I've looked at it and went, if she's standing and doing what I ultimately want her to do, because eventually I'm going to teach this dog to stop when I tell you to stop by saying, well, mm-hmm. if she's doing that already, no different than my, a lot of my little retrievers sit very naturally. Like they'll come, I, I got a 10 week old puppy behind me right now and he'll come up to me and he'll sit down and he'll look at me for praise. And he wants, you know, it's just, it's a very, I think it's a very submissive body language thing for him. He's giving in and he's, he's saying, I'm comfortable. I'm going to be right here for, for a while. I'll sit next to you. I don't tell him to do it. He does it. I praise him for it. This dog, when she would do this stopping behavior, I just finally said, well, then I'll, then that's fine, but you can't move. So you're just going to stay there for a while. So like, I feel like I'm way jumping the gun with this idea of whoa, but I'm also going, I'm not really putting any pressure on it. I'm looking at it and going, hell, I'll tap into your natural ability and your natural willingness to do it. So that's, that's my reasoning for it. But the idea of, for me, I have done, you do it, it sounds like you do it with a clicker. I have done it with like our heel work. I've incorporated, I'm incorporating. So she's not seen a bird yet. She's not done this positive pigeon, which I'm interested in doing it, but I wanted to really dig into this 
a little deeper. She's not done that yet. But what we have done is I've tapped into this thing with her that she seemed to do pretty naturally. And now I've turned it into, okay, now I'm going to overlay it with the idea of, I'm going to ask you to do what you want to do naturally. So you can start to understand pretty soon. I'm going to ask you to do it when you don't necessarily want to do it. And I hope that that behavior sticks because I think we're going to be able to form it. So I've asked her to essentially my, my retrievers, I tell them sit at the end of healing and end it with the period you sit down. And now what I'm doing is she stands. So I end it with a period and I take a couple steps away and then I come back to her and I'm working my way around her and I'm doing it no different than I would a remote sit. Instead, I'm doing a remote stand with her mm -hmm. prior to this wool with the idea of, or prior to this positive pigeon thing, but with the idea of, am I getting the cart a little bit in front of the horse? For most people, I think maybe I am, but I want to, the reason my reasoning for it is, is because when I get to the point where we're adding a lot of distractions with birds and chasing and, and the idea of fl birds flushing and flying away and all that stuff that becomes very distracting. My hope is it helps me get that behaved contr controlled behavior easier. Maybe and it won't be faster, but it'll be in the long run without having to go to stimulating with collar. Sure. So that's, so that's why I'm like shifting the, the sequence a bit, but not to an extreme. Cause I know what people are saying is you can't do that. You can't put that kind of pressure. On. I'm not going to put that much pressure. I'm going to be very baby and massage like with it earlier with the idea of less extreme, meaning I'm closer to the middle. So I don't have a dog that gets really amped up about chasing so that I got to really put pressure on to get him back under control. Eventually I do that with retrievers too. And so that's my thought process with this, but I feel like positive pigeon. My question was, is that, am I creating an issue for myself by doing it? And I don't think so. I think it's actually probably very much on that talk track, like on that line of like, balance it. Don't go extreme. You don't do it. Mm -hmm. Figure out how to, in this, in this, you know, small, I didn't know if you did it 50 times with a dog or if you did it twice with a dog and called it good. And that's, that's helping some of these, some of these questions of mine. So there's a few things, right? So first and foremost, can you train a pointing dog without an e-collar? The answer to that's 100%. I mean, you can do it. I believe it will take longer and everything in today's life is about how, you know, instant gratification, how fast can we do this? How quickly, um, I'm about allowing dogs to develop naturally. And a lot of your concerns I eliminate by using an e-collar, right? I don't have to worry about dogs coming back to me. We, we work through that. Now, as far as teaching everything else and collar conditioning, everything else, a lot of those things don't happen until later in the process. So once we have reliable recall, which I have no doubt in my mind that when I hit the button, the dog is going to feel that and it's going to know how to respond to that. And it's going to come back to me. So then we can, we can go out and I'll, uh, uh, teach pointing naturally. Um, we use what I would recommend that you do would be, um, using wild birds. <laughs> totally. hundred uh, percent. If you don't have access to an ample number of wild birds, um, utilizing electronic launchers allow you to simulate wild birds. Now, a lot of people don't use electronic launchers in my opinion properly. And the sequence happens dog locks up on point 
whether that be for a second or 20 seconds or 30 seconds. And they push that envelope all the time, trying to help the dog to stand longer and tell the dog moves. And then they launch the bird. Okay. So what that in my eyes and have experienced firsthand, what that teaches is the dog. Once I pressure it, I get to bump it and chase it, which is part of the game. Okay. Um, if you allow that steadiness time to happen for a second or two, and then the bird comes out early, it almost signals to the dog that you overpressured that and you need to be sneakier because pointing is directly related to stalking, which is why dogs creep in on stuff. So you need to be sneakier next time, which involves less movement. And you can build off of that time by then allowing the bird to be a reward, but, um, they did it right. So stand longer next time and the bird will come and you'll get to chase it again. So we incorporate all of those things without check cords. I'm not holding you there. You're doing all of these things naturally. Sure. Do you think, what do you think, what do you think makes a pointing dog point? What do I think? Yeah. What, what hundreds what is, of years what, of genetics? Do you think it's, <laughs> do you think it's because of. It's stalking. So, so it's a similar, like I want to sneak up on said animal. Some are more cautious than others. And the more cautious they are, the more pointing instinct they have. Right. Do you think the reward is so like I'm and this is where this is where it ties back to positive pigeons. And this is this is really good stuff for me. The pot the, the idea of chasing the bird. Yep. So I have I have I don't I have not experienced it, but I've I've heard now from enough people about this idea of your dogs can go through these phases, like the pointing dogs go through phases of stuff. And there, what I have been told is you're going to go through this phase with this dog where, you know, and, and a lot of people are just, you just let this stuff happen. You let this develop, you ride this thing out and you'll end up in good shape. But this, this phase where the dog will chase the, the birds flushed, the dog's going to chase it. And eventually it's going to work itself out of the idea of chasing which is the positive so like then i'm talking about like pointed wild birds flushed mm-hmm. chased eventually and i hunted with my buddy's dogs last year and we experienced that like dog would go on point bird would flush wild you know we're hunting grouse and and they're challenging i think if you can make a bird dog on a grouse you can make a bird dog on, the dog will hunt anything because i think it's a very challenging bird for a dog but the, so this we're these grouse flush wild well dogs on point bird flushes wild no shot dog knows the bird flushed dog's not trained to be steady to wing and shot so dog breaks and runs and i mean some one of the their litter mates one of them would run for minutes like one of them you you just about lost sound of the bell and eventually he's coming back the other one litter mate didn't have nearly the chase that that other one had like he'd go he'd chase it for a little ways but almost not out of sight and that are very rarely far out of sight and then he's back and so it's a it's a very different the dogs themselves were different in their personalities part partly because of culture i think but then partly because of probably just what's in them but so this idea of he went my one buddy that has the big runner went through that and he's still going to probably go through it a little bit this year but he's already by the end of the season he was getting better at he wasn't going nearly as long and far to try to refine this bird and so 
I feel like this positive pigeon thing with me is also an idea of a way for me to control that chase part of it, as opposed to the wild bird part I can't control. Mm -hmm. So with the training drill, so I look at birds as like really good for developing skills by doing drills, as opposed to hunting a dog is very natural in bringing out bringing, giving them opportunity. That's that giving them opportunities part of it. This is a very controlled part that you have your, and this is where I feel like your bonding is coming in because you're part of the equation, right? Like you're, you're, you're a key component of this. You release the bird, you introduce the bird, you do all that stuff. So you're, you're important to the dog in it. But by doing this, I am also thinking that it's going to allow me to get through potentially some of this phase of the idea of learning to chase and and give up on the chase, learning to chase and give up on the chase, learning to chase and give up on the chase, give up on it a little sooner and realize it ain't that great to chase. Or some of these dogs, I think they chase because they go, oh my God, this is so much fun. And I don't have that many opportunities to do it. But this is a controlled setting where I almost like say, I want you to chase and learn that it, there's not that, there's not that pot of gold at the end of that rainbow. Like, come back. And will that help me accelerate my opportunities when I get them on live birds? Because I totally agree with you. And my, my approach is going to be develop a bird dog on wild birds. Like I, I have the opportunities to do that. I'm lucky to have those opportunities. Um, and I think I'll be able to do it. It's going to be a, it's going to be a definite attempt on my end to shift it very heavily on wild birds, as opposed to pen or in it i i have that as a separate topic on here that we weren't even going to talk about today but like that's a question i have is you know value of penned birds or placed birds or however you want to word it training birds as opposed to the the wild so we don't have to talk on that but the idea of figuring that out i really believe that this drill could be beneficial in that well i Based on the words that you're saying and the path that you're taking from a training standpoint, it sounds like you've gotten a few opinions on this that seem maybe just slightly misguided from the way that I think about it. But I don't believe truly that the dog's going to go through, you know, phases that you just let happen. I do believe that the more handle and the more teaching and the things that we do at an earlier age gets us through those quote unquote phases faster. Yeah. Like you can help them along rather than just, you know, almost sounds like, and I'm not, you know, almost more like, uh, oh, there's still just the puppy in them, right? You know, that kind of, it'll eventually work its way out. And maybe I'm wrong by assuming that's what kind of the direction they're taking. But um, I believe that you can do things. Now, my baby caution to you with it is um, any dogs that we put too much handle on, too much emphasis on leash work and too much emphasis on obedience. Um, they struggle to develop enough independent hunt to be beneficial. So now that's different for every dog. Some dogs right. do it like they're, you have to put additional handle. I would say the average setter, not all of them, but the average setter is a little bit um, gentler, kinder hearted, a little not quite as driven as some of the wild and crazy short hairs that are out there today. Um, but when you've got a dog that it's, it's all the balance. So yeah. as long as you are balancing, you're not going to have any problems. But if you say we primarily work on, if you haven't been free running your puppy by the time it's 20 weeks old, you need to start doing that. Allow, how do you pronounce her name? 
Makina. Makina. So, uh, Makina Matata. So the uh, Spanish, for the, Spanish for the machine. The, the machine. The machine. I like it. Makina um, needs opportunities to go out and explore and hunt. Totally. Um, yep. And if she's good at getting out into a range that you are happy with and comfortable with, which is probably could be further than what you're comfortable with working with what you'd normally work with. You're probably com more comfortable with a dog being closer to you than, um, and in the woods, dogs need to be closer to you. You just can't see them more than 40 or 50 or 60 yards. Sometimes that's completely out of sight. So as long as you're comfortable with her range and getting out and exploring, you have a good balance. If you put too much emphasis on obedience, because this is, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm a little scattered. The things, there's lots of stuff that go into this. The things that I see people make mistakes training dogs, period, is doing what they can, not what they need to, right? So we can work on this obedience drill and we can do it twice a day, five days a week, but my dog is really good at that and my dog needs the opportunity to go expand and search and explore, but we don't have off-leash areas. I don't have a reliable recall. I don't have any of the things to be able to do that, but I can do this. So I'm just going to do this. Right. Well, by doing that, you're creating a problem. So as long as you have that balance, she gets out hunts as big as you are comfortable and excited about, which a five month old puppy should cover good ground. Um, then the amount of obedience that you're doing isn't a problem. Yeah. I, I, I think so that's the balance. Yeah. I totally think you're right. And I think that, so here's the thing that I think is why I want to make points to people that follow us is because, and I don't think it's a lot different than converse, this conversation could be overlapped or overlaid into retriever training. It could be in the hound training. It could be into anything, I think. But I feel like a lot of times when I listen to podcasts or listen to videos or watch books, it is so, we see such a micro amount of the big picture that we rep that we in like our conversation like i totally first off i really respect your telling me your feelings on what i'm telling you but what you're saying to me is completely predicated on what i've told you and if i don't do a very good job telling you about what's the whole big picture immediately i think the the way you analyze it is going to be specific to what I've given you for information. So like sure. my, and I'm a foundation guy. Like I love well-behaved dogs. I think discipline is the key to enjoying my dogs. When I say discipline, it's a very difficult, word for, some, difficult word for some people yeah. to recognize and realize how I mean it. And yeah, structured and foundationally sound. Like, so I look at this and I probably put off to see people that listen to our stuff, this idea of obedience, 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 that's extreme. I'm anti-extreme everything. Like I don't like extreme anything. I don't care if it's dogs, if it's whatever you, I don't, I'm not into it. I'm a, I like to get somewhere in the middle, man. I, I like a little bit of everything. And I feel that, so to what you specifically just said, so here's my, here's my routine with Makina. We, I would say, 
uh, I started doing some foundational heel work and, and more formal stuff. And like, I'm precise with it. I want her feet in the right spots. I want her body bending. I want, I, I'm, I'm really picky about it because I feel like if I can't control you at a foot, I can't control you at hundred feet. Like it's just, it's this idea of as things scale and transfer, there's diminishing connection. And so I better get it good right here. I better get it good right here because when I take you to the kids' soccer games, like I want to have a nice healing dog. When I take you out of the truck and go to a spot in a field, I don't like, I'm turned off by dogs that pull. I'm turned off by dogs that have to be held by their collars on two feet. I don't like that. It's just not my thing. I don't have a problem with other people doing it if that's what they like. I don't like it. So I, I'm doing it for me. So I like this. I like a well-behaved dog. And my dogs are family dogs and they all live in our house. They're all right behind me right now. So I need that. But for her, we've worked on it and she's getting pretty good at it. And people are going to see it because that's our formal session that we filmed that 15 minutes that day. What mm -hmm. isn't always seen and what we're trying to do with some of our, our content stuff is like for every session I do of heel work with her, we've also done probably one or two, like you said, kind of exploratory walks. Like I go, I've got acreage here that have woodcock right now. So they're moving through. So we're walking in the evening, we're walking every evening. And in the morning, we're doing at least once, but we're ta I'm taking this dog and with zero, I, I try to recall her back to me maybe once or twice in the 25 minutes, because I would like to have the ability to get her back to me. Like I want her to finish. I want her to come to me. I pet her up and then, okay, go ahead, go do it again. And I've been doing it since she was very little and we were restricted some with snow and, but it's getting open now. I've seen in the last, it would be probably six weeks. So maybe from her 10 week old till now, she's gotten to be, she's just slowly moved out. She slowly moved out. She slowly moved out. She slowly moved out. I love it. It's been really gradual. It's been very controlled as far as me feeling comfortable with the further she gets out because the further she gets out, I've also got the foundation that has been being built in the background in these other sessions where, you know, beep, 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 beep on the whistle. And yeah, she'll, she'll come back to me. And so I feel like the key there is I didn't just let the dog run and develop herself as a bird dog, wild child for the last three months. Mm -hmm. And I haven't been <laughs> boot camp for the last three months where it's, you don't look the other direction. Like those two are extremes that I feel like if you do either one of them, you're going to have a struggle because of it. They're both opposite directions, but they're both so far out there. And I'm, I'm looking at it and I'm going, these drills, this positive pigeon drill, now that it makes more sense to me, I do think that the, I love that you said I don't do 50 of them because I go, Mom, that would be kind of maybe an extreme. If you did do 50 of them, I'd wonder why. And I'd ask like, what's the benefit of doing it so often? Because it might be a good reason. And I'd go, well, that might make sense to do it for that reason. But the idea is like, and I think we have similar we have similar thoughts to this. We train differently in, in some regards, but we train very similarly in most. And I feel like the balance part, the meeting in the middle part, like the no, not extreme part makes it, for me, it makes it easier, big picture. Now I, I, you know, there's a lot of like specifics that fall in there that, yeah, maybe they're a little bit different, but I don't, I just don't think that that's why, that's why I love this conversation because people that are listening to it, I hope go, 
it's not it, like hear what you say and go, yeah, if all you do is foundation, you're going to might have an issue with the dog getting away from you a little bit, like wanting to go away from you. But if you just let the dog run like a wild child, you might have a hard time getting it back to you. And I look at it as I don't want to do that because I do think that leads to a need, a much stronger need to have the extension of control, whether it be check cords or collars. Like I don't, I was having this conversation with my buddy yesterday. I have not put her on a check collar yet or on a, on a check cord. And I, I hate check cords because I feel like there are a little people, I see people work with check cords. And they're afraid to let go because they know what is going to happen when they do. The dog is going to, it's like a pop bottle that you shook up and you took the cap off because the dog's been in the contained in that pop bottle the whole time. And now it's, holy shit, here we go. And it to me, so I look at it and I go, I like this slow, gradual, develop some control, but allow some freedom. And the freedom is earned based on the amount of control but it's neither one are like perfect ever maybe way down the road they might get pretty good but that that was one thing i was going to ask you is if you are if she's dragging a check cord or if she's doing anything and that's good that you're not i mean i i dragging one i'm not as opposed to because it kind of helps with a little bit of that finish stuff with a young puppy that's not solid on sure. recall right so as long as we can get within 20 feet of you which is usually not that difficult with sure. a puppy um we can step on the cord and then we can encourage you to complete it, not just reel you in or drag you to me. Right. Hey, 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 now I've got you. Okay, now we've made this circle smaller. Now I've got you closer. Hey, hey, sure. let's do something, you know, so through the development process. But um, the dogs that are held on to like that, you they come in and they'll, they'll like run circles around us, right. you know, as right. we're walking through the field. And you're like, okay, well, this is obviously conditioned. That totally. All you know is a 30-foot circle. So. Totally. Yeah. And so I just think that it's interesting to me to hear about this drill because I do think that it's now I know it's something that I want to do because I do think it's the, the upside of it. The, first off, the potential concerns with it are probably gone in my head now. Like I, I don't have this fear of, and I literally wrote it down is I'm looking at trying to like work towards the shaping of a behavior early on, as opposed to trying to change it later on. Like I don't, that's just my approach in, in life with dogs. And my fear was, am I rewarding this dog for running? <laughs> like, or for, for standing still with the idea of breaking. And I think it's a, I don't think that's the issue. Like my, my I don't do fun bumpers with dogs, with retrievers. And the reason I don't is because I feel like, especially when it comes, I don't do them because I work to steady dogs up. I don't think steadiness is natural. So I, I work to steady them up. And I feel like fun bumpers, a little bit of erosion of what I just worked on. So it's like giving a drunk a drink to celebrate, you know, Hey, you quit drinking for a while. I'll buy you a drink. I don't think that makes sense. So <laughs> I, I like, I like to look at it as, okay, like in the retriever scenario, Hey, you're steady for me. You'll get a retrieve, you know, instead of you're steady for me. Now you can break. It's just a, just a, everybody's got different ways of doing it, but well, I mean, that's, it's a 100% valid point. And I utilize again, a balance, a little bit of everything, and then allow the dog, like you were mentioning before, allow the dog to determine how much of that we can continue or not. So if we have a dog that struggles with desire or is maybe, you know, 
right. a dog that could specifically benefit from that fun bumper. Like, yeah, hey, I yeah. know the steadiness was exactly. kind of boring for you, but here's a fun bumper. And I know you're not saying absolutes, but totally. that's where yeah. that's where that fits in. But now, if that fun bumper does erode the steadiness work and you now are braking again, yes, then that that requires undue pressure, whether it whatever that pressure is that's applied. Uh, undue pressure that could be avoided by just rewarding you for doing it right and eliminating exactly, the other. You're exactly so, right. And, and, and you just nailed it because the other day I had my son's dog back that doesn't retrieve a lot. And he, he's a great dog. And I literally said, I want you to break. I want you to excite. I just want you to just get so amped up that we bring back the retrieve in you so the fire was almost out and all I did was I put some gas on it, but I didn't let it turn into a burning inferno. I just lit it a little. So you're exactly right. And I never would have thought of that, but like, yeah, I, I used that fun bumper. I just used it differently in a different scenario with a different dog for a different reason. And that's a tool, you know, it's like, so I, I shouldn't even, I, you, that's a really good point that I, you know, I'll tell, I probably said it a million times. I don't use fun bumpers. Here's why. So I'm a, I'm, no, I do use them. I use them in very rarely in certain situations. And it's a great, it was a great way to unlock that dog for one session in an afternoon. And from then on, I didn't have to do it anymore. So the same well, thing is applied with chasing birds. So chasing birds is a, is a fun release and a reward for doing a good job. Sure. Um, if we incorporate um, the positive pigeon game and other games, just experience, right? Dogs learn that I can't chase these for a hundred miles and every dog's going to be different. Right. So dogs with extreme high drive by nature, they're going to want to chase longer dogs that are more even keel. Like it sounds like your dog is most setters are most um, there are extremes in every breed and everything else, but sure she's going to have a more reasonable chase to begin with and learn, all right, that one didn't go down. But totally. if you discourage the chase too early, I see dogs struggle with a longer mark or a cripple or something like that to pull yeah. off of them. Yeah. The other side of it is when we, like, I honestly feel that, and you'll see mixed opinions on this of steady to wing shot and fall. It's definitely attainable by all dogs, but the dog, the, the, in essence is taking away the chase that per that develops steadiness beyond the flush. So we, um, we need a dog that understands the game before you start taking away the fun aspects of it. Right. Because if, if we can't reward you, unless you do it hundred percent, right, then the whole game's going to suck and you're going to lose interest in, then you'll stop pointing birds and you'll stop handling. So even if it's not, I'm not even talking about collar pressure. I'm not talking about handling. I'm just saying, well, we prevent you from playing this game. So there's no fun and you just stand out here. Yeah. Now, that balance is different depending on the level of drive that each dog has. But an average dog needs to have a good understanding. We recommend a seat, like generically say a season or two of wild bird hunting, or if you don't have wild birds, enough pen raised birds that the dog gets the game. Sure then we can, then we can move to that next level. Sure. No, it makes perfect sense. And at the risk of pushing this further than time-wise, because I really appreciate your generosity here. 
back, this is a way to kind of wrap this back up, I think. So circling back to the idea, and I asked it earlier, of why do you think the pointing dog points? And I know you brought up the genetics and I'm agree in agreement with that. And I think that there might be some, this is a different topic that I put as a note too, because I wanted to ask, it, it's a question I have for you, but I knew we wouldn't have time for it, but I'm, I've got a list of Ethan questions here. So <laughs> on my notes, but it was, and it may be partially due to this idea of different styles of dogs, German style dog, versatile, versatile type dog versus what I would call more of that pure, the pointers and setters type dog. Cause I do think there's some differences there obviously. But one of the reasons that what I'm asking in my head is why does my dog, why is my dog going to point? And I wonder, or I question the reasoning. And I think it's in my favor because I don't think it's for the idea. I don't think she does it necessarily for the idea of, I want to put a bird in my mouth. My dogs retrieve because they like the idea of picking stuff up and bringing it back to me. I know my retrievers enjoy that. That's a big reward. That's a very driving thing. Turn my washer off there. So, but with the pointing dog, I feel like the what I have seen in, in, in conversations with Jerry in particular at Northwoods is, and he's told me in his opinion is that dog lives to breathe in and drink up that bird scent. And so I look at, there you go, you're good now. I look at it and I go, the reward at some point the dog understands, and I don't think it's me training it, I think it's an inherent thing, is a pointing dog points because of the point and the breathing in of that and the, the drinking up is how he describes it of that scent, as opposed to the idea of I want to go now. Can they be conditioned to be, I want to go chase it? Can they, they be conditioned to, I want to flush it? I mean, I've, I've hunted over some German short-haired flushers in my life. And it's like, yeah. you know, but I feel like that from a, and I, I say that jokingly, but not jokingly at the same time, but you know what I'm saying? It happens. 100%. And I feel like the, that's the tricky part about the versatile breeds is you're asking, you got a dog that wants to maybe do both pretty heavily where I feel like the difference between my setter will retrieve this little setter retrieves. She's got a, she's got a pretty halfway decent retrieve. It took a, it took a different approach to get it from her. And I, and she's certainly not out of the woods with it yet, but I do see that it's in there, but not in the same way that it is with my labs. And so, but I know that my labs now I I've got a buddy that has a puppy of ours that he hunts a lot of pen birds and his lab holds, I won't say it points, but it does. And it holds very, if the bird doesn't move, but dog doesn't move. Like, but that dog, it's a cultural thing, I think more than anything. And it's a pen raised thing with this dog and, and that's fine. But the true pointer, I believe, I do kind of believe in the idea of, man, it's that point that really gets her and really is the reward for her. Because I hunted over one this last year that is out of the Northwoods dogs as well. And I walked up on it and it was the most beautiful thing in the world on a grouse, had a grouse in a, in a little bit of cover pinned down basically. And I walked up and it was on point for minutes and before I could get to it. And I walked in and I literally saw it just drooling, just saliva and snot and everything is just pouring out of this. I mean, it's a statue and it's literally just got it's looks like it's salivating. Like it's, you know, like you, it's Pavlov rang a bell, man. Like it's classic conditioning. And that dog is just, 
And that bird was five feet off of its nose. And I couldn't believe it. And it ended up flushing the bird, killing it. He ran out to it, wouldn't pick it up. I sent my retriever who was on heel, picked it up out of the swamp, brought it back. It was a beautiful moment. But I looked at that and I went, that dog was in heaven when it just sat there and breathed that bird. And as long as that bird stayed there, he was, I totally feel he was there to do that. And so what do you, do you agree with that? You think that's what it is for him? Um, you know, so I specifically work with versatile dogs. Um, there are, it, it goes in a couple different things to touch on here. First of all, um, you, you're right. That's what they, they want to do. And that's what's there. The, the other aspect of it comes down to, um, genetics, like I stated kind of, uh, crassly or what, or whatever, you know, like genetics, it's genetics. Well, sure, well sure. the reason for that too, is that the games played and the, the breeding over the years has been pushed that direction. So if you look at pointer or Brittany or setter specific trials or events, a lot of them don't involve retrieving. That's not a characteristic that's being bred for. Now, there are good ones in all of those breeds. There are exceptions to every rule, right? But it's primarily, I believe, if you go to a pointer trial or if you go to a Brittany Club sponsored trial, retrieving is not, is not a requirement. Where versatile breeds, it is a requirement. Sure. And then some versatile breeds specifically take that to the next level and they require water retrieves depending on the tests, right? And then you've got the whole... Um, versatile organization, NAVDA, um, you know, they have a huge water portion of their tests, right? Yep. So all of that being said, it, it is genetics based, but the dogs that are truly pointers, um, they do, they love, they, they want to go find the next bird. They want to stay in there. That is what they enjoy sure. doing. So yeah. when you fight the versatile game, I always look at it kind of like a, a needle. I think about the visual of a needle and it being like one, eight, 180 degrees, half circle, right? So this is what I'm looking for. This is the perfect balance between pointer and retriever. If you shade one way or the other, you're shading more towards a retriever or more towards a pointer. Sure. You lose retrieving desire or you lose pointing desire. Sure. Right? Yep. So we're always looking for that, that straight up and down with the emphasis shaded toward pointing dog. If that is an opportunity. Like yeah. I don't shade more toward the the retrieving aspect of things because then you have dogs that you have to teach how to point. Right. They don't want to do it. They do. They're German short-haired flushers or German short-haired retrievers, and sure. um, and all, that applies to all versatile breeds. But it's it's not something that's enjoyable for me. I want a dog that wants to point, and I want a dog that wants to back. Those are two things that are way easier to work with when they're bred into a dog. Sure, and that's totally makes sense and i feel like that is a perfect way to wrap this conversation because i it totally leads into another rabbit hole that i'd pin you down for another couple hours but and, and i'm very I'm fascinated more and more by the the breeding you listen to hunting dog confidential you listen to that podcast uh no who, should, who does man. that very good uh craig koshek and uh i can't remember what her name is um it's a guy and a gal very well done um i would it's a it's it's in the family of project upland stuff um okay. one of the spinoffs of or it's one of their it's under their umbrella of Northwoods collective but it's yes but it's it's um 
it's fascinating. It's a breakdown of breeds and origins and historical things. Um, there's, I think they're into their second season of it. Some of them are very interesting to me. Some of them aren't so interesting. Some of them would be very interesting to you because of the versatile hunting stuff, because of the, the hosts are, have versatile hunting dogs. Um, so, but they talk about, so I'm, I'm fascinated by it. And the idea of the importance of some of this history and purpose and reasoning for these dogs is very, very interesting to me and it would be about i it's it's the next conversation that we would have so um but we don't have to dig into it but man i got you i had you i pinned you down for two hours i told you i won't do it any longer than that but uh thank you so much like this is real valuable to me and it's i i really i really appreciate your opinion on a lot of it um i really appreciate the conversation we have had and I mean, we've known each other for a long time and talked several times and I just think it's a I, I I have a mutual I have a respect for you and what you and Kat are doing um and I, I think really highly of you guys and so I, I when people ask me you know we're GSPs I'm sending them to you guys because that's the confidence I have I don't typically send anybody to any kennels I say google search and call and talk to the people you guys are definitely my go-to there so um but this is the conversation that I can have because we're not always going to think the same. We're not always going to do the same, but there's so many similarities in the value I think is showing that uh, it doesn't have to be black or white. Like there's a lot of gray in this, in this area. And, and I, I, I appreciate that a lot. So. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. I, I always enjoy the conversations. They are, um, the way you think about stuff is way more involved than the average person, which is cool to me because I am more of a thinker and um, it's, it's not small stuff. It's not simple, you know, surface level. There's, there's a lot of depth to it. So, yeah. And I, that's to me, um, that's where I need to continue to investigate and I need to continue to dig in. And when it comes to this stuff, pointing dogs um, you know, it's just so new to me and so green, I'm so green with the idea of it, but I'm, I'm enjoying, um, I'm enjoying it for lots of reasons. And if nothing else, it gives us another excuse to connect to. So thank you for that. Um, I I'll, I'll continue to add to the list. I'll check a few things off the list that we talked about and I'll continue to add to it and let's do it again. Let's connect again. And we'll talk further on down the road. And I'm going to put pressure on you again about bringing your dogs up. I'd really enjoy having you come to the camp. I'd really like to see your dogs work the birds by us. I just think it's a, um, it, it, it is a there for a lot of reasons you know obviously hunting is we all love it but i know it's a time thing with you guys too but we got to put something i would really enjoy it if you guys could make the trip i think it would be good for you i think it'd be great for your dogs I'd love to see it so that sounds good to me cool all right man we'll be in touch i appreciate it hey no problem talk to you later Bye now.